Hello and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Brew. How are you all going? My name's Pete Loring from Bricks and Water Coffee Co. Coming at you from regional South Australia. We have a fantastic episode uh, ready for you today. Uh, I hope you've got your pens and notepads out because you're going to get taken to school by two very, very clever, very fun, uh, energetic and really switched on guys. I'm talking about Mike and Kieran from Virtue Coffee Roasters. Uh, these guys are from Carlton in Melbourne, Victoria, and they have a, uh, a cafe, brew bar, roastery space that is very hidden away, but in Man Alive, you get in there and it's an amazing space. They run a very tight ship, and uh, and I was really privileged to join them and really pick their brain about everything that goes on, and the conversation flowed pretty well because they've they've just got such an amazing insight into coffee and the cafe industry probably focus a fair bit more on the cafe side of things in this episode and and delve pretty deep into return on investment of purchasing goods and staff culture and and encouraging staff and and growing staff and and giving them leadership principles and all that sort of thing it's a really good uh, episode i've known them for probably about a year or so now and uh, it's been a real privilege because uh, i've lent on them a few times for for advice and uh, they really do have a, a great insight into into the industry here in Australia. So really glad you could join us for this episode today. Um, if you're dialing in from somewhere overseas or somewhere far away, um, I'd love to hear from you and and uh, and hear your perspective on the show and hear your perspective on the Australian coffee scene. If you're an Aussie abroad, I'd love to hear from you and and see what the differences are between overseas industries and uh, and the one we have here in Australia and what you've learned about the good and the bad from Australia. So we'd love to hear from you guys. If you ever want to shoot me a note or have questions for any of our guests, feel free to uh, drop us an email at behindthebrew at bricksmortarcoffee.com.au. Um, that'll come straight to me and I will definitely farm that out to uh, whoever can answer the question best. So uh, yeah, enjoy, sit back and uh, I'm really sure you're going to have a great time listening to this episode. Okay, so here we are. Nice crisp morning. Not quite morning because someone was late, but anyway, uh, we're here at Virtue with Mike and Kieran, and we are going to hear all about their journey today. So, what's going on? Where are you from? How you got into this business? And uh, we are keen to hear all about this place. Hi, my name's Kieran. I'm the head roaster for Virtue Coffee. Um, originally, I just started as the head roaster, um, but became a partner in the business about a year into the place. Um, it's been a lot of learning and a lot of different ways. So for me, originally, um, I was born in South Africa in Cape Town. Um, I finished high school here though. So in Albury, just over the border in New South Wales and kind of my journey getting into coffee was very much discovering specialty coffee as a scene and, and going that way into it. Um, going to university and dropping out of a, a science science degree and realizing that maybe physics and academic life wasn't for me. Um, and then realizing that I wanted to start in coffee, but being 22 and never having worked in a cafe is the, the, wrong, the wrong way around. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but I guess I discovered coffee snobs sometime in 2006 or so. And I started playing around with a popcorn popper in 2008. So it's kind of a decade of roasting for me as it is. So I'd already been roasting coffee when I first started working as a, a waiter, essentially. Um, and it took me a while to become a roaster just because I was unhappy with what I was doing. Yeah. Um, as in your, what you felt comfortable with the level you wanted to have? Absolutely. I guess I've always been very quality driven, quality focused. Um, the reason that I fell in love with specialty coffee was kind of seeing people um, competing in World Barista Champs and watching their routines and how they would describe what they were doing and their ability to execute exactly what they wanted. And then me starting to work in coffee and already having some understanding of how roasting would be an important part of that and, and something to focus on. Um, working as a barista... You're standing in front of someone and you want to be able to pour a coffee that looks great. And you want an espresso that tastes great. And being faced with a very busy environment yeah. and not feeling like I was executing to the degree that I wanted. Right. And probably I wanted better than what was required in the cafe as well. So kind of adjusting my expectations to meet what was required was one thing that I needed to do just to get good. Um, and then from there... 
learning to kind of improve my standard to an, to an extent that I'm more comfortable with now. Obviously, it's still something that you learn about. You yeah. learn little tricks and little things that make things just a little bit better. I think I think a big part of coffee is kind of a little flourish. It's you're, you're just showing someone something. It's kind of what roasting is for me. Um, and I think kind of coffee making and like latte art is kind of one of those ones that everyone I think feels kind of good about. It's it's just an aesthetic thing you get to watch. And for me, that's kind of the satisfying side is serving coffee and having those little moments you get to share with someone else. Very cool. All right. Mikey, let's hear about your story, mate. All right. Uh, where to start? Um, I've been in coffee and hospitality for about 20 years now, give or take, um, across a lot of different things. So I started off uh, waiting and dish hand. Uh, I've worked in bars, I've worked in bottle shops, restaurants, cafes, uh, nightclubs, a bit of everything. Yeah. Um, I guess I started focusing more on coffee over the last probably 10 to 15 years, give or take. Um, but I've had a checkered history and have done a lot of different kind of things to try to find where I wanted to end up. Uh, similar to Kieran, he dropped out of a science degree. I dropped out of a commerce degree. Um, and I still have four subjects left of that commerce degree, which I think my parents are ecstatic about. And will you finish? Never. (laughs) So at the end of the day... And, okay, so first semester, first year, failed four out of four subjects. Fantastic. Uh, second semester, first year, got four HDs. Cool. Then took a year off. Um, and then in that year, realized that, yeah, I really don't want to go back to it. Still went back to it. Didn't do so well. Thought, no, nope, want to go back in hospitality and kept on doing that. Um, at the end of the day, where that was going to lead was never somewhere I wanted to be. Sure, I, sure. I didn't want to end up doing... A desk job. I didn't want to end up uh, just progressing through a rank in in a large sort of white collar business. Um, anyone who knows me knows that I like doing things my own way, and that I'm extremely stubborn and very competitive. Uh, all of those things don't necessarily lend themselves well to working up a corporate ladder, uh, but they do lend well to business. And so, Virtue, we started in 2012, uh, signing the first lease. We actually opened in 2015, and those sort of that three-year difference or two-and-a-half-year difference was a lot of building, um, a lot of uh, fights with uh, landlords, um, and a few other little sort of issues that went along the, along the way. Uh, we had our fair share of problems to overcome, um, both time, money, and personal and business differences. Uh, the business partners I started with, uh, I did not finish with. And so what I mean by that is I started with two business partners and within about the first six months of trading, I'd bought them out. Um, and it was a very, very good thing to buy them out because Virtue would definitely not be the business that it is today if I still had them. Um, Kieran came on board a short little while later and he came on board as roaster um, and a little while after that uh, he became a partner um, which is awesome so yes <laughs> um, but it was one of those things like he I distinctly remember we were uh, working at a cafe together uh, a while ago and that's how we originally met um, and uh, I went outside. I was I'd finished the day at, at this cafe, and he he'd run run outside, and I was just standing near uh, uh, near a bin. I don't know why I remember the bin, but I remember the bin. Um, and he came up and he said, "Look, you know, I don't know exactly what's going on. I don't know exactly what you're doing, but I just want you to know that uh, you know I want to come with you. I want to I want to be a part of it." I'm like, "That's awesome." And so at that time, Kieran, um, you know, as as he's just said, he kind of. Uh, he started off in coffee and his first job was at this same place and he was always been a very passionate, very quality-driven person, um, much shyer than he is now. He's come out of his show a lot <laughs> over the last little while, which is good. Um, but <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know he even had a shell. <laughs> there, there was a very big shell there to start with. So, he's a very different person now. It's great. Um, but he came on, like, 
you know, he expressed a desire to come on board, which is amazing. Um, and then he went and broke his foot while he was frolicking along a beach nice. on a holiday. And so he was in a cast for quite a while. And so he wasn't on board right at the start, unfortunately. Um, but he came on board as soon as he was finished. And yeah, as things worked out, we managed to give him an opportunity to come on board as a partner, which is awesome. And Kieran is a far better business partner than I've had before, which is great. So uh, it's it's been fantastic. So obviously the details we, we're not going to delve into, but talking about relationships in business, um, do you find that you actually have to just kind of go through some bad ones to find the good ones because it's so difficult to – you can't just pick the right ones from the start and you sometimes have to walk with them for a little while and journey with them only to realize they're not the same fit. Like how the heck do you – so that's one of the issues. One of my dad's favorite sayings, uh, he ran his own business, own small business for many years. And his favorite, one of his favorite quotes was, uh, that's the thing about business partners compared to personal relationships. You can't kiss and make up. Yeah. And which is true. Um, I guess it is one of those things where business relationships are extremely different to personal relationships. Ideally, it needs to have a grounding in a personal relationship because if it doesn't, then when you get to the tough times and there are always tough times in business, then it's really, really hard to get through that. Mm-hmm. Um, business relationships, I have obviously a business partner in uh, in Kieran for Virtue um, and we've also got another business together, uh, which is a little hole in the wall cafe in Richmond. And uh, Kieran and I own that along with another business partner, um, by the name of Melissa and she runs that and she's awesome and so out of the four business partners I've had two have been awesome two have been not so good so we're winning so far I reckon Um, but it's one of those sort of things where at the start of any business you can't necessarily pick and choose as much as you would like Um, business becomes easier the further along the road you go it's never easy but you become wiser and you become more knowledgeable about the decisions you make. You become a better read of characters um, and you learn to trust your instincts more. So, yeah, I guess in business, you're always going to have disagreements to some idea uh, or different ideologies or different sort of directions you might want to take a business. I do find that in a business relationship, there needs to be usually one person who has the ultimate call. Yeah. Um, not because they should be always overriding, but there has to be someone who ha- makes a tough decision if it comes down to that. Mm-hmm. More often than not, it should be talked through and it should be a mutual decision, but sometimes there has to be a tough decision. Um, let me hand over to Kieran. Yeah. I guess uh, the big part for me is um, it's kind of based on trust. So particularly in the case that Mike is talking about sort of having one decision maker. Um, It's important that when a call is made like that, that the other partners try to facilitate that because if someone makes a decision that they're they're not on board with that and then shoots it down, you haven't executed the decision. You've you've kind of stymied it. And so the side there is, I think, it is maybe important on a structural level to have one decision maker, but I think it's even more important to back um, your partner in the spheres that they control. So I guess my primary role in our business is to sort out our coffee side. So, you know, I make selections on green coffee and Mike very hardly steps in on that. If there are things that he needs done differently or whatever, or if there are constraints that come up within the business, then he communicates those to me and I try to... Yeah. As much as you'd love a great coffee, he says... Look, I'd love that, but hey, at the moment, not quite the right fit, and you just have to run with that and support him. Absolutely, in that. and I, it's a business, yeah. So yeah. we do that, but I'm, he doesn't generally step in unless it's required. And on the same way, the stuff that he handles is part of his sphere of control, and mm-hmm. so I back him there. And then if I've got a serious issue, then I bring that up. And the thing is, the first step is support and trust, and then the next step is to kind of handle items under your control to the best of your ability. Yeah. And I think I think particularly for both Mike and I, obviously Melissa joining in Fainwood Goods has been a revelation, really. Um, 
the the things that the things that she's doing in such a small space has us heartily impressed. Yeah. So I think the thing there is uh, by facilitating something like this project, um, I mean virtue, um, you put yourself in an opportunity to meet people who are on board with what you want to do rather than people who are trying to look at the things that you're looking at and say, hey, you've made the wrong decision there. Mm. Sometimes you make the wrong decision, but in a business, you've already committed to that. So it's it, it doesn't matter about accountability all of the time. If you keep making the same mistake, then it's hey, yeah. you've you've made this mistake again and again, and we should learn from that. Yeah. Rather than you made the mistake, this is on you to fix that. It's it's just how do we progress forwards? And instead of looking at the books and saying, cool, well you managed through this and you're doing badly, it's well how do we how do we improve that? And so I guess the the first step is trust, support, and then a learning mentality rather than out and out business focus. So running a business is obviously business focused, but a business partnership is really about choosing the right people and then making sure that you're focusing on the business, not on the numbers. Yeah. So obviously it's, it guides your decision making. Yeah. Yeah. But once a decision has been made and you've started acting on that, if you've already spent the money, do the best you can. And that's, that's it. You put yourself in a difficult position sometimes, <laughs> but that's that's your time to, to make good. So coming from both from uh, a point of being staff and now into partners and owners of a place and you're talking about you know responsibilities, I like what you said about um, about owning the, the issues and, and some of the best bosses that I've worked for would never actually point the finger and go, oh, you stuffed that up. It's a case of, that was a bad decision that we made. Regardless, it happened. Let's now fix it and get better. Being baristas working for someone else, being hospitality staff working for someone else now to being your own bosses and managing staff, are they things that you look to instill in your current staff? And yeah, so, get, so staff culture. Like, Do you try and teach those things to your staff now? I think it's... On, on a kind of business owner side, you always try to make things as good as you can for your staff. But there are days where things don't go to, according to plan. So for me, I've always kind of dealt with kind of anxiety. And so for me, my first step is how do you help your staff get to kind of a stable, comfortable position so that they can best deal with whatever comes up, any task at hand? How are we going to get the best out of the situation? So in a way, yes. You don't need them to necessarily focus on, cool, I need to make a business decision about this. Yeah. But you do need to train them with a focus on they have a responsibility to the business when they're doing stuff. So they can't just stand and have a chat to a customer if there are other customers waiting to be served. But in the case where they've got the time to talk to a customer, they should be doing that instead of chatting to their mates. Sure, sure. So you, you, you want to guide them I guess and put them in a position that is powerful for them to do the best that they can yeah going back a step yeah so it is a good question and I guess to talk about a couple of things one about how it changes but also two about how you instill culture so the first thing is and it's something which uh, I talk often to my business partners about and as well as other people who are at that same sort of level which is uh, people have an employee mindset and it's something where people can't help it and you can't help having it because realistically employee mindset is about uh, thinking about usually what's in it for me, mm. um, usually thinking I could do this so much better <laughs> um, if it was my place or something else like yeah. that um, and quite often not necessarily seeing all the steps that might happen behind the scenes or all the steps that might need to happen to facilitate something. Now, that's something which is common to everyone. It's not anyone's fault. It's just the way it is. Um, and realistically, the majority of people in the world are employees and the majority of people have that. Now, if you start to step up in whatever role you might do, so whether you maybe uh, take on sort of a more management position or a more senior position, then you start to grow out of that role a little bit. You start to grow out of that mindset. Um, obviously, if you become an owner, same sort of deal. But 
it's never something that you fully grow out of until you actually realistically do your own business or take that responsibility. And what that means is you start to realize that you see all the pieces. You realize that their ideologies are great, but at the end of the day, if ideologies aren't successful, it costs you business. Um, if ideologies aren't uh, proven to make money, there's no point. Um, if you can do something better, that's great. But if doing something better isn't successful as in a business sense as well, there's no point. Um, by the same token, there's no one else to, I guess, kind of hold your hand through those sort of hard times. You know, if you get to the end of the week and you don't have enough money to pay your suppliers, that's on you. Um, if you're, you know, if you don't have the people walking through the door um, to be able to facilitate whatever you need to do, you need to figure out a solution. Um, and there isn't anyone else to kind of solve that. Now, I guess that sort of a change happens when you own a business. Um, and it certainly happens to varying degrees depending on uh, how involved you're running the business in day to day. What we try to do here and what I try to do here is we try to make sure that we have staff who are knowledgeable um, and are at least in some ways aware. Now, in any business, you're always going to have a range of staff. You're never going to have every single staff member being perfect. It just doesn't happen. Um, why? Because different people are doing things for different reasons. Um, a person who is you know, doing 10 hours a week while they're studying something else is going to have different kind of priorities to someone who's doing 40, 45 hours managing a business and wants to set up their own business in two years. Okay, But it's about making sure that whichever level they're at, we're appealing to what they want to learn and opening their eyes up to the reality, not what the, you know, not the master chef reality or anything else like that, yeah. but what the actual reality is. And so I'll happily, you know, go through things like figures with some of my key staff. I'll go through different sort of proposals and tell them the sort of questions that I'd be asking or the things I'd be looking at. Um, I'll tell, and I do this with both my staff, and I also do it with uh, my business partners as well. Um, and so both Kieran and Melissa um, are obviously in business. Uh, now we're all in business together um, but they probably have less interaction with that side than I do and so I try to help them along with those sort of things so that way they can understand more but so they can also do that more themselves yeah. but also so that they understand if I make a choice yes they trust me to make that choice which is great um, but that way they also understand why I've made that choice or yeah. why I'm doing the thing that I'm doing the context super important very much so Yeah. Um, and so there's, at the end of the day, whatever reason that people are doing something for, um, that will happen, okay? And it might be a mistake, it might be a good thing. But the important thing is that people need to understand why it was right or why it was wrong or why they should have or why they shouldn't have done it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it's not about pointing the finger, as Kieran said, mm. okay? Because sometimes you do have to point the finger if it's the same mistake that happens over and over and over. But if it just happens once... It's not about that. It's about fixing it, moving forward and going, cool, here's how we could have done it better. Um, and those sort of things are invaluable, whether it's uh, trying to, you know, improve your manager's decision making, uh, trying to, you know, improve the, the quality coming out of the coffee bar, uh, whether it's trying to improve how your brand is perceived by both your staff and then also by your customers. All of these things are important to make sure that people realize if someone might, you know, you, you have a staff member who might bring up an idea and it's like, this is going to be amazing. It's like, cool, all right, so talk me through it. How does that work? What does that actually mean? Um, how does that work in a day-to-day -day business? Um, how does that work in terms of staffing? How does that work in terms of equipment? How does that work in terms of cost? Mm -hmm. How does that work in terms of time? Does it achieve what we want it to achieve? If it does, is it worth it? Mm -hmm. um, and all of those sort of things need to be worked through. So... Yeah, that's that side. And that all kind of comes into, I guess, staff culture. Because at the end of the day, staff culture is made through people bringing on people who are like-minded and then hopefully making that culture stronger and stronger and stronger. Mm -hmm. And the stronger it is, it means that the more people who then come on board 
after. They either fit or they don't. But it's a very easy sort of, you know, you can see it very easily. So I guess these days, like, we have a culture where we need to ensure that we are working hard. We're working towards the same sort of goals. Um, we should have a generally positive staff culture. Um, happy. At the end of the day, hospitality is not easy work. It's hard work. Um, but that's okay. But if you're going to complain about working hard, then you're in the wrong industry. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to complain about, you know, going, oh, I'm not making this amount of money or I'm not doing this, you're in the wrong industry. And so this industry is about enjoying the role, knowing where you're going to be in a year, two years, five years, anything else like that, and figuring out what you need to get there. And ideally, we want to be in that sort of position to facilitate that. Yeah. Whether it be about bringing floor staff up to baristas or baristas up to management or opening a place, you know, as a co-joint venture um, with, you know, a senior staff member. All of these sort of things are what we end up looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen a change? Because obviously that's, you know, I've talked about this a few times with some guests where there's been that change in, I think in Australia with it being actually a choice of a career rather than just a stopgap in uni or I need some part-time work. People are looking, well, it seems like people are looking for, I want to be a hospitality worker as an, as an actual goal, um, which is very interesting because, uh, but I think you see that in the way they treat customers and you see that in the way they work um, because when they are busy, they still keep that smile. When they are you know, flat out, they still keep that attention to their detail and attention on the customer. Um, have you seen that in the staff that you've either worked with over the last you know, while or, or in the staff you're employing now? So, there has been a bit of a shift there. It's still not uh, as much of a shift as we all might like to think it is. Um, very much so, there are a lot more people who are career focused, but honestly, still the majority of the people who are doing it while they're doing something else. Yeah, right. Um, and when I say majority, I'm looking at the entire industry. Sure, okay? sure. Um, we're in the lucky position where here at Virtue, we have a very desirable location and a lot of desirable things that people want to work with. Because a lot of people want to work with us, we have a good choice of staff, which sure. is nice. And because of that, the kind of staff that we have here uh, are generally very high quality and lovely people um, and generally want to a more career-focused. Um, now, having said that, I mean, out of the 20-odd staff that we have, then there are always going to be people who are, you know, a uni student and doing it part-time while they're doing something else or doing it just to make money while they're, you know, about to go into their other career, which is fine. But then you have other people who, you know, we have a... Uh, a junior roaster who wanted to learn more about coffee and more about roasting and has the aim to set up his own sort of roasting venture in a couple of years back in Italy, which is awesome. Uh, we've got our operations manager who has run his own business for many, many years um, and is currently running our business um, and running all operations. But he will go back into his own business in, a, in another year, two, three years. And most likely, he'll probably do it with us. Um, we had a assistant manager who was very interested in learning um, more about business and more about the numbers and was looking at uh, doing her own business. Right now, she's done a, doing a bit of travel at the moment, so she's not quite sure exactly where she wants to fit. But by doing that, she'll get perspective as well. Uh, we had another girl who was here and her passion, she thought her passion was coffee, but in fact, her passion was more about sort of social media and that kind of side. Mm. And as it turns out, like she had an opportunity with us doing that and now she runs all of our social media across all of our businesses. Um, so, at the end of the day, you just you need to find the right people for the right roles um, and there's no point trying to go, okay, you should be in this role. Mm. People need to know what role they want to be in yeah. and then you need to figure out a way to facilitate that if you can. Um, it's that facilitation, though, that the owners and managers need to allow for the staff to go, hey, I'm maybe I'm currently running the floor, you know, can I try something else? Which I think is really important for the, the staff to be able to feel okay to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, the thing is, you always want to try to facilitate. There are always going to be times as well that you can't for whatever reason, um, but it needs to be talked through. It's never a flat no. It's, it might be a no because or it might be a no, not yet 
or it might be a uh, no, but how about this? Mm-hmm. Um, but then quite often it might be a cool, prove it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we've had people who, uh, you know, might have come up with an idea for this aspect of quality of coffee. And for whatever reason, I might disagree with it. Cool. But I also know that doing it will have very little impact on the business if it fails. Sure, sure, sure. If it has little impact, I'm like, cool, prove it. So, they'll go ahead and do it and they might discover it works and I might be wrong. Happy days because the business still improves. They might be wrong, but at least they've learned from it. Yeah, sure, sure. So, either way, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You sound dead? I guess you always want people to be involved and invested in what they're doing. Um, I think hospitality still carries a bit of a a connotation of sort of a transient kind of industry, you know, a lot of backpackers working in a lot of pubs around the world sort of thing. (laughs) And where are you from? Where's your accent from? And it's just like, well, I'm originally from Norway, but I spent a lot of time in England. So who knows? Then they sound Australian because people spend a lot of time in London and then end up in Australia sound like Australians. So it's kind of a, a funny, I guess, holdover. Um, but I think slowly the industry is changing a little bit and particularly where there is lots of focus. So, you know, if you look at maybe winemaking or if you're looking at kind of modern distilleries or if you're looking at specialty coffee, there are people who are very invested in what they're doing. Yeah. And on the same level, you want your staff to understand that that's going to help them get there. We just had a little intermission there. Kieran got caught on the bar. They needed the big guns. He's down there kicking butt now. Um, so let's talk. Obviously, we just spent some time talking about growing cultures in staff and and then trying new things. So let's talk about bar downstairs. Everything's very cool. I was looking around. It's and it's an efficient workspace. You know, you got the Marco for the hot water. You got the milk dispensers. You've got uh, singles already weighed in little containers, ready for batch brewers and ready for filters and stuff like that. Correct. Um, Talk about that. Was that something you've set off from the very start? You knew it wanted to be like that or it's grown to be like that? Uh, A bit of both. So, uh, personally, I'm very much about uh, efficiencies and bar design and venue design. Um, So, the, the biggest factor in most hospitality venues is labor. Okay? It's the make or break. Um, obviously, you need the right lease, but that's done. Then after that, the things you can control are labor and cost of goods. Cost of goods, you can negotiate with your suppliers. Labor, you cannot. Okay. Yeah. Uh, labor, you've got a very much a, a fixed sort of cost. And the only way that you can improve on your labor is either to underpay staff, which is not a good thing, um, to work a lot in your own business and do crazy hours, which is uh, has limited rewards. Um, or ideally, you need to have a very efficient place to be in. And what that means is it needs to be designed well, which means you need to have visibility across the floor. You need to figure out exactly where your staff members are going to be and what roles they're going to be in. Um, and at any time, you need to know how many staff you need to run your venue based on if it has one customer, if it has 10 customers, if it has 100 customers. Now, that flows across the whole venue, but it's especially important across uh, bar design as well. And so, you always want to design for efficiencies at the start. So, our choice of equipment reflects that. And so, we have uh, grinders and machines on bar, which means that we can produce a very high quality, very consistent product with little input. It doesn't mean no input, but it means that you can focus on the bigger problems rather than the little problems. What does that mean? It means things as simple as volumetrics. You got to have it. Um, putting a juggler on bar means that we can uh, dispense milk. We don't worry about having to pour the right amount. We reduce wastage. Um, we always have a coal, which means it's also better for you know food health and safety. Um, and realistically, that saves half a staff member as well. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, by having the kind of grinders that we have on the bar. It keeps it much more consistent in terms of dose. It keeps it much more consistent in terms of grind. Same deal. We can produce more coffee more consistently at a higher quality. Uh, we have pre-dosed coffee for our batch brews. We also have pre-dosed teas, chais, um, and 
all of those kind of things. So that way we don't have to worry about measuring that out as we go. It's simply a matter of grabbing the container, putting the pot, brewing. Same deal while we have the Marco boiler. So we've got two different temperatures there. So that way if we're brewing a green tea at more like 75 degrees or if we're brewing a a black tea at more like 95, we have the water ready to go. So everything is built around efficiencies. Um, What it means is we've got a bar where if I didn't have all those things, I might need two staff members on that bar at any one time. What it does mean is that I can run a moderately busy bar instead of two staff members with one staff member. And even if it was flat chat where another bar might need three to four, I can run it with two. Um, It's also flexible so people can pour milk from each side. Um, It means that people can uh, use the till from various different angles. It means we can predict where customer flow is going to be and we can predict how that's going to work. So all of that kind of thing has to happen from the design point of view. Um, And it's very important if you're building your own venue, you must consider it. And it's... Uh, it's a lot of wandering around looking like a crazy person. Yeah, um, peering over people's bars. <laughs> that's right. Um, so I remember when I was building Virtue, then uh, it was there was nothing here. So we built the entire thing to start with. And there was a lot of sort of walking around, uh, pretending like I was serving a customer, pretending that I was making coffee. And you got to figure out the customer flow. you got to pretend that you're this staff member, then your staff member B, then your staff member C. Yeah. Um, where those people would be what they'd be doing. Um, if you're doing that, then where would the customer be going? Where do they order? Where do they pick up a coffee? Where do they wait while they're picking up a coffee? Um, if you've got people waiting for coffee, then what about the people who want a table? Can they get through? Do you seat them all? Where do they wait? Yeah. If they're sitting down, is that comfortable? Can they get to the bathrooms? Uh, can you get the food from the kitchen? Does that impact anything else? Do you have to get customers to move? Can they stay where they need to be? Um, can you see all the tables? Can you facilitate everything? If you're on the floor, can you still see people walking through the front? If you're on the floor, can you help out the bar? If you're on the bar, can you grab the till? If you're on the till, can you do something else? So everything has to be well thought through. And so what that means is efficiency. Efficiency is everything because efficiency goes one of two ways. Either it saves you money, which is great, or even if it doesn't save you money, then it means that your staff can focus on more important things. Sure, sure. Because it means that they're not stressed out because they're working harder than they have to. It means that they're working smarter, which means they can focus on a good interaction with the customer, which brings that customer back, as opposed to a staff member who's running and sweating and you know not so good for the customers. You don't want that sort of an impact. Um, so all those sort of efficiencies, whether it's the right choice of equipment, the right sort of design of bar, the right sort of design of floor, um, the right sort of tools to facilitate everything, so important. It's everything. So, without doing a cost-benefit on everything, or do you do a cost-benefit on everything? (laughs) Anyone who knows me knows that I do a ridiculous amount of figures and numbers. I'm very good at numbers, if I say so myself. Um, But I work through everything. And so, like right now, the two things that I'm considering are a cutlery polisher um, and an automatic orange juicer, which are two very random things. So, I know that currently we spend around about eight hours per, uh, excuse me, uh, around about eight to 10 hours per week doing cutlery, okay? So, ballpark, that's around about, depending on the day, you're looking at around about sort of 250 bucks. Per week. Because we've all seen the staff members standing there in front of the wet bucket of cutlery, yep. wiping it all off and sticking it in the clean bucket. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. Exactly right. Right, right. So, 250 bucks a week, okay? That 250 bucks a week over a year, you're looking at ballpark around about 12 and a half grand. An automatic cutlery polisher, depending on what you're looking at, is going to cost you somewhere between 7 and 15, okay? Now, here's the thing. One, if I buy that, will it save those 8, 10 hours? it'll save some of it okay if i'm using that sort of eight to ten hours is it already downtime yes or no and so am i employing someone just to polish cutlery or is someone polishing cutlery while it's already quiet and they have to be there sure all right and these are all the sort of questions you need to ask Mm -hmm. because it's any amount of money is fine to spend as long as you're getting return on investment 
And that return on investment can come in lots of different ways, whether it's a, an improvement and it's actual money coming back or whether it's an improvement for quality of customers or quality of product um, or whether it's an improvement on brand or something else like that. But it's still, whatever it is, it has to be measurable. You have to have return on investment. And so these sort of things, you work through all the numbers, you figure out what it's going to cost you, you figure out how is it going to return and in what way, you figure out based on all that kind of stuff, is it worth it at the end of the day? Um, because everything, there's only a finite amount of money mm. and there's only a finite amount of time. Um, so you've got to figure out where you want to spend your resources because the only way you're going to move forward is to spend your resources with the plan of getting those resources back because of the thing you just spent it on. And so that way you can respend those resources yeah. on something else <laughs> and then get it back again. And all this time you should be growing. Yeah. Okay. So... If we're investing money in, say, the juggler system, which is, you know, 11 or 12K, significant amount of money, but that money we can make back because of the saving in staff wages, okay? If we make that back, then that money we can then put into something else, okay? Same deal with if we do a cutlery polisher or if we do an automatic orange juicer. Um, we're considering doing a huge illuminated sign on the roof, which would be costly. But at the end of the day, the business only really needs to make around about or between two and three hundred bucks extra each week to make up for it, and it would pay for itself in a year. Yeah, which means everything after that is a bonus. Yeah, yeah. So, when running a business, numbers are everything. Mm. Um, without numbers, you will find your business fails very, very quickly. Um, currently, for this business, Virtue, uh, I've forecast up until the start of two thousand twenty-one. Yeah. Um, and the reason I've done that is because whatever decisions I make now today, I need to know what impact that will have. I need to know where I'm going to be in one year, two years, three years time because the decisions I make now will set up that success or failure. Mm -hmm. um, anyone who's been in business, you have, you've got bass to pay, you've got wages to pay, you've got suppliers to pay, you've got super to pay, you've got, you've got rent, you've got everything else on top of that. And these things will come weekly, monthly, quarterly, yearly. But regardless when they come, they've got to be paid. Okay? And if you don't know with absolute certainty that you're going to have that money then or if you're not going to have that money then, then you're screwed. <laughs> Absolutely screwed. And this is the reason why so many businesses go out of business within the first year. Why one year? Pretty much because you build and then you start running it and then in about sort of three months, you realize that, oh, there's not the money I thought there was. And then you kind of work harder for about the next three months, six months. And then at about nine months, you go, yep, I'm screwed. And it all goes downhill. To avoid that, you must know where you're at at any given time. Um, and I cannot stress how important that is. It's everything. I've got way too many follow-up <laughs> questions here. So, <laughs> we're going to have to stick really specifically on these. So, first question is... Um, what level do you put on staff happiness when we're talking about efficiencies, the staff member running around sweaty and busy? Yep. Um, so, hit that one first. So, All right. So, staff happiness is very important but it has to be within context. And so, here's the thing. Um, if a staff member is unhappy because they're being paid well but they want to be paid incredibly highly, okay, and they're unhappy because of that, that's not valid. All right. If they're being paid well already for doing a job, cool. That's something that we can't necessarily meet or we can't necessarily meet that sort of expectation. If they're unhappy because a piece of equipment isn't working the right way, perfectly valid. You should get that fixed because something like that is just going to grate on people the whole time. Um, if people are unhappy because they're, say, constantly overworked, that's an issue and that's definitely something that needs to be fixed. If people are unhappy because... Uh, the 90% of the time you're fine and then maybe one day you're extra busy or one day someone's called in sick and they've got to work that little bit harder, that's different, okay? So, it's very important to make sure that staff are happy but it's always important to know if they're unhappy, why are they unhappy? Is it a recurring problem or is it just something that's just happened? Maybe their dog died. Maybe <laughs> maybe their uh, their coffee in the morning wasn't as good as what they thought. Yeah. Um, maybe they've got an issue with you know uh, a family member or money or something else like that. And there are a lot of things that uh, I've done personally and that we've done as a business to help people 
with their happiness, yeah. not just within the business context, but you know, we've we've lent money to people because you know their their rent is due and they they decided to spend their money on something else which they shouldn't have, yeah. um, or they're going on holiday and they haven't saved properly, yeah. or uh, to try to help them out. We've negotiated with landlords on their behalf for their rental properties. Uh, we've helped people move house because we have a van. Yeah. Um, we've uh, done so many things like that, which will. At the end of the day, if we have a solution and it costs us very little, and what I mean by costs us very little, like, you know, someone comes up, hey, I've got a problem, I need 20 grand. It's like, <laughs> it's not a problem I can fix. But hey, you know, I'm in a real bind, I need to, you know, move this from A to B, do you have a spare half hour? It's like, yeah, of course, no worries, that's fine. So, happiness, happiness is important because at the end of the day, one, you can't do everything by yourself, you're never going to. Um, if you feel that you are, you are the business or if you're everything, you've got a big shock ahead of you. <laughs> so, you must have good staff with you and with you. They don't work for you. They work with you and that's very, very important. The only way they're going to work with you is because they're going to be happy and they like what they're doing. They feel challenged but they also they enjoy the environment and a big part of that is happiness. Cool. <laughs> Other two all merged together. You talked about return on investment when you're buying new products and buying new products. So, what kind of time do you look at for ROI on the cutlery maker yep. or the cutlery polisher, sorry? And are you a cash guy or you're a lease guy and how does that work into changing your decision whether it's one or the other? Cool. So, all right. First of all, ROI, realistically, I kind of cap things at about a year for ROI. Um, why at a year? For this business, okay, going back a step, I'm going to get back to that question. Sure. But uh, for any business, it's going to have different levels of when you actually kind of reach return on investment for the business, sure. okay? And the larger the business is, the longer it takes to get to that point. It's kind of like if you've got a little pebble or if you've got a big rock, a big rock is going to take a lot longer to kind of get momentum and kind of keep on turning over. Whereas a little rock, you know, get it straight away. Yeah. And that kind of compares to, okay, you've got a little hole in the wall and you're working it by yourself and you're working it Monday to Friday, you can get that up and going pretty quickly. If you've got a large venue that might take, you know, five, six staff to run as a minimum, sure. you've got invested, you know, hundreds of thousand dollars in terms sure, of fit out, sure. it's going to take a lot longer to get momentum. Therefore, you stretch your ROI out a bit Exactly. Right. So, for something like Virtue, um, then I'm happy with an ROI up to about a year. Mm. If it was a small business and so our other little place over in Richmond, I might be looking at an ROI over, say, three or four months. Okay, now that's the first thing because it has to be in comparison to what your revenue is and what you're expecting it to be, um, but it also needs to be realistic because, okay, Virtue has been here for three, three and a half years. It will still be here in five years, in 10 years, in 15 years, in 20 years, okay? And it's important to know that because if I get an ROI in a year and I've still got another 15 years, you know, to improve on that, that's great. Whereas if it's a small little business and, you know, maybe you might top out it after one or two years. Um, and why, what I mean by top out is you might have maxed it, okay? And if you've maxed it, either it's going to be a profitable cash cow or you're going to sell the business, sure, okay? Sure, But Therefore, you have a shorter ROI because exactly that's right. the longer term. Exactly right. Now, right. Um, going back, what is acceptable? It depends on what it is. So, and it depends on how big the outlay is and it depends on what you're trying to solve. So, there are some things which don't always have a measurable ROI or it doesn't always come back to money, um, but they're things which are essential. And so, all right, we rebranded and we rebranded around about oh, probably about a year and a half ago, give or take. Um, why? Uh, the original logo that we had was designed before the build even happened. And so, it was designed with what we thought the place was going to be. Sure. And then, as always happens, it might be a little bit different or it might end up being, you know, a couple of little changes along the way. And so, we found that the logo that we designed didn't match the venue that we built. And so, we wanted to change the logo and then that kind of, you know, flows along from there. Now, that costs money, okay? And are you going to have a measurable return on that? Not really because it's very hard to measure branding, Okay. So, but for an investment, it might be, you know, 100, 500,000, 5,000, whatever else it might be. If you strongly feel that what you've currently got is not going to do you any favors and the new one is, 
then it's still something which is worthwhile, okay? Um, it's worthwhile because you're thinking about long-term, it's beyond a year, it's beyond five years, it's beyond 10 years. Branding is about legacy, more so. To put that in context, the difference might be say, okay, uh, we just spent $1,000 on cutlery, which is a lot of money on cutlery. <laughs> um, why? Because that gives us efficiencies pretty much instantly. Right. Easier are- to polish? Sorry? Easier to polish? No, same, same <laughs> to polish, but here's the thing. So, we were finding uh, during our peak times on weekends that we were having to polish cutlery around about halfway through the day because we didn't have enough cutlery to service everywhere. Now, we always did, but unfortunately, cutlery gets thrown out quite often uh, or people steal it or anything else (laughs) along those lines. And so, you've got to replenish things. But by spending $1,000 on cutlery, it means that realistically, every single weekend day, we might save, you know, between an hour and three hours of time where we have to be polishing cutlery versus other time where it's downtime and we can be polishing cutlery, okay? What that means is that's about sort of, you know, a couple hundred bucks every single weekend that we're saving. That means within five weeks, I've already made my money back. Happy days. And so, if I know that, dropping a grand on cutlery is a no-brainer because I know I'm going to make it back. And here's the thing. That's just the money side. Then you've also got the stuff happiness side. I don't have to polish cutlery exactly when it's right. busy. <laughs> and that's it because you don't want to be stressed out going, I've got customers coming through the door, all right, and I need to service those customers, but I can't even do that because I don't have cutlery. That's silly, okay, because that causes unnecessary stress. Yeah. For spending $1,000, you improve the business, you uh, get economies of scale, you make more efficiencies, and you make your staff happier. Like it's money well spent Yeah. every yeah. day. Yeah. Very cool. So many nuggets in there, man. Jeepers. <laughs> Everyone just take a breath. Nugget City. Nugget City. <laughs> um, ex- excellent that you brought up branding because I wanted to talk about it a bit. Um, the question was going to be about branding and how you how you manage that and how you made that fit here and, you know, how far you push branding. So, yeah, super interesting that you brought it up anyway. Um, so, how did you go about branding with Virtue? And I noticed downstairs you've got uh, lots of you know, ancillary stuff. Um, you know, you've got your own cocoa, uh, hot chocolate, and chives, and things like that, and teas. And um, how far did you go with your mental? Uh, how far did you plan expanding the product range you had, and and the marketing side of it? Two very different questions there, but the marketing side of branding it and the strength of the branding on your packaging, or you know, what were your decisions around branding? Okay, so that's a big question. Yeah. And it kind of goes into a few different things, I guess, because um, branding is one side and business opportunity is kind of also linked into it. Because so you were just mentioning there a whole lot of, you know, sort of consumables and that kind of thing. So, oh, we'll split, we, we split the question up then. Let's all right. talk, talk, talk branding first because I want to talk about products. Cool. Side. So, for branding, uh, branding is what people relate to. And so, with the right branding, it can kind of stretch across a lot of different people. Your customers will talk to other potential customers because they like the brand. Um, And that's invaluable. Why? Because you can spend money on branding and then you get free advertising. Like that's that's awesome. Um, And word of mouth is the best kind of advertising, whether it's good or bad. These days, especially in the realm of sort of social media and all that kind of thing, then image means so much. Um, and people will make a decision based on whether they choose to purchase or visit or anything else like that based on whether the brand appeals. Don't you find that so fickle though, but it's something that you have to work into your branding? Very much so. So, it is, it is fickle, <laughs> but it's also… Human nature. <laughs> it's human nature, but it's something that's it's been within the industry for quite a while. I mean, you know, if we're talking things like Lamazoka machines or, you know, back in the day, Mazza grinders or these days, Mythos grinders or EKs or something else like that. So many customers these days will go into a place and already make a judgment based on what the coffee is going to taste like based on the machine that's on the bench. Yeah. Okay? That's branding though. Yeah. All right? Yeah. So, all of that is image. Um, it's about the sort of image that you want to project. There's a reason why a whole lot of Melbourne cafes look the same. Uh, why? Because it's a design aesthetic that appeals to customers. Okay? Um, and there is, it's good to differentiate yourself, but it's more important to appeal to your customers. And appealing to your customers comes in many forms and your brand is a very, very large part of that. 
if you look at successful cafes, then it's not just about the logo. It's about the kind of type that they use for their menus. It's about how their menus are printed. It's about the kind of fit out that they have, the aprons they might have on their staff, um, the kind of food they offer, the kind of coffee that they offer. All of that is brand. Um, brand is the it's kind of the glue that sticks your business together. And if you look at any kind of very successful company or business that has grown beyond the four walls, the thing that makes it grow is brand. Mm. Um, it's not about, okay, if you go to your local doctor, they don't have a brand. Why don't they have a brand? They just have a name. Okay, that's it. But if you look at, say, you know, for example, uh, doctors that might have grown beyond just their immediate thing, it's based on brand. For example, uh, something like, uh, all right, so what is it? Advanced hair. Mm. Okay, yeah. that's brand. Yeah. Now, that was someone they've done hair replacement and all that kind of thing. Cool. But the reason why they've grown bigger and bigger and bigger is because of its brand. And they get their brand out there, they advertise their brand, and people know about it. It keeps it front of mind. If people are looking for something with hair replacement, that's one of the first things they go to. Why? Because of brand. Okay? Um, it means that it can eventually become even bigger. If you look at things like Virgin, okay? Virgin is across so many different product categories. Um, and... Now their brand stands for not okay. So they started off in it's not know, just the individual product. It's no, they start off in the record game. Okay, yeah. but you don't really actually associate Virgin with records and music much anymore. These days, you actually associate Virgin with sort of being cool and young and inventive and innovative. Now that's awesome because that means that that brand can be applied to anything, whether they do you know Virgin Airlines or Virgin Credit. Or if they did virgin coffee or if they did virgin something else, it doesn't matter because it goes across everything. And there's a perceived quality and cost associated with the brand as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. And here's the thing, because if you grow your brand, okay, and if you make your brand into what you need to make it into, then people will either purchase on a more regular basis, they might visit on a more regular basis, they might be willing to pay more for your product because of that brand, because that brand gives them perceived value as well. So important. Mm. <laughs> wow. That's a whole other podcast about branding. <laughs> so, let's talk uh, alternate product lines. You've got some chais and hot chocolates and, and teas and things like that. So, that from the beginning, you wanted to have an extended range to go with the, the singles and things and that that you sell and the, and the retail coffee you sell? Uh, no, not at all. Yeah. So, we... Okay. First of all, like I said earlier, business becomes easier the more you do. And I am always looking for opportunities and always looking for things that I might be able to do better or niches that I can exploit or anything else like that. And so, all the things that we have, okay, we might have been using other suppliers for some things and then we go, okay, cool. Well, I can, I reckon we can do it better and we can do it at a better price point. So, let's do it. So, then we do it and then we refine it and then we end up with a really good product. Um, and so, we've done that across our chocolate, chai, uh, teas and tisanes, matcha. There's another product that we're bringing out fairly shortly as well uh, and one more that I can't talk about. Sure. Um, but now we're working on separate brands for all of those separate products. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and so two of those are kind of leading at the moment. So we're coming up with a brand for our chocolate and a brand for our chai um, and then we can launch those. Yeah. And why would we do it differently? Here's the thing. Let's say if you're using a cafe and you're using, uh, you know, coffee company A, Okay, you wouldn't necessarily be so happy about bringing in a different sort of coffee company's chai or chocolate or teas or something else like that. Whereas if it's a separate brand and I can grow that brand to be something itself, you'd be very happy to use it. Sure. Uh, which means I increase my market by using a separate brand. Also, by using a separate brand, it becomes its own entity. It becomes its own identity. Um, and what that means is it can grow more it can grow separately and it can be perceived differently. So, it means although Virtue and Virtue's brand might stand for one thing, my chai brand can stand for something else, okay? And my chocolate brand can stand for something else. They don't have to be congruent mm-hmm. and that's very important because if everything had to be congruent, it makes it very hard to grow everything to the maximum that could be grown. Sure. How do you not get your fingers in too many pies? Getting in too many pies is fun. <laughs> so, like, honestly, like, that's, that's what gets me out of bed. Yeah. Like, I, it's the challenges. Like, I, I look forward to all these things. Like, right now, we're, you know, 
negotiating uh, rent reviews with one landlord on uh, negotiating another um, lease on something else, uh, doing branding across several different product lines, um, across uh, improving our coffee list, improving our wholesale list, uh, improving the you know sort of retail turnover for our cafe, all of these sort of things. My every day is different, mm. um, and it's challenging, and it's hard, and that's what I like. Because yeah. if it wasn't yeah. hard and wasn't challenging. I'd lose interest because like everything else that I've done, being my commerce degree or something else like that, if it's easy or if it's boring or if it's the same, I don't want to do it. I like to be challenged and I want to challenge myself and whatever, if I've accomplished something yesterday, cool, then I want the next challenge tomorrow. So by doing this, it's not about having so many fingers in different pies. It's about exploring options and some will work and some will fail. And that's okay because failure is a part of success and that's no problem at all. But it's about trying to move forward with what you want to move forward with because at the end of the day, it's not about being necessarily about... Okay. I am passionate about coffee, Mm -hmm. but I'm more passionate about business. Mm. Okay. And what I mean by business is it's the challenges, it's the people, it's the, the ins, the outs, the the day-to-day about trying to uh, grow something from nothing. That's what I love. And so, doing that, it doesn't even matter so much anymore what the thing is. It's all the other stuff that kind of goes along with it that's the fun part. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. But then in your (laughs) partnerships, you find someone who is madly passionate about coffee. 100%. You pair it together and then you have something that's successful. Well, that's the thing. So, all right. Virtue... um, I started off doing everything, okay? So, you know, managing the kitchen, managing the floor, looking after all the roasting, head barista, you know, everything, okay? And then ideally, you want to employ people who are either A, better than you or B, more passionate than you um, to do all the other roles. And so, you employ people to look after the kitchen. You employ people to look after the roasting. You employ people to look after the coffee area. You employ people to look after the management. Um, And at the end of the day, one as I said, you can't do everything by yourself. Two, chances are you might be very good at some things. You're not going to be the best at everything. So, find people who are better than you um, and give them a reason to do whatever they do with you rather than yeah. for someone else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, now, Kieran, he was roasting at home and then I trained him a fair bit roasting at a, another business we were working at um, and I was a much better roaster than him. He is now a far better roaster than I am, <laughs> which is great. And he's a lot more passionate about it and he is awesome at what he does. And that's his thing. I don't need to get involved with that. So, that's his department. If I want to get involved with it or if I need to get involved with it, I will. But 99% of the time, it's his thing. Um, and so, I can't remember what the original question was. Uh, but, yes. So, um, you want to have people who are heavily involved in whatever the thing is that you need to solve Mm -hmm. and so um, coffee and roasting and everything that goes along with that is a very intensive process and there's a lot that goes on in there now I like it and I've done it for many years but for me personally I need more and so Kieran loves it and he wants to do that all the time it's like cool do that all the yeah, time. But his, his more is finding the greens, finding the better profiles, etc., etc. 100%. And that's where he goes. That's yep. awesome. That's awesome. And so, then say Melissa over at our other business in Richmond, then she wanted an opportunity to open up her own business and she wanted to learn more about that. So, we gave her that opportunity and it's been hard work for her, 100%. But it means she's also had the backing of uh, people who have done it before. Um, and people who might have seen all the things that she's going to see. And it means that she, she'll tell you herself, she's grown so much in the last nine months um, and it's been crazy. So, you always want to look for people who you might be able to partner with who might be super passionate about that particular thing or really want to work in that particular aspect. And so, you know, for us to grow in any area significantly, you need that. Um, whether it be people who are passionate and you know about coffee and they become your head barista and then they push that area or a passionate head chef and then they can push the food area or people who are passionate about say sales they might be able to push the wholesale side regardless of whatever it is you need to partner with people who are 
good at what they do, passionate about what they do, and want to push hard in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And quickly touching on the retail products side of it, how big a how big a missed opportunity is it that when cafes or cafe roasteries don't push those lines and don't have retail? Is it a big is it a big contributor to bottom line, or is it a a hassle that's just there because you should do it? So no, it's not a big contributor, but it is also one of those sort of things where a lot of cafes. Uh, are very appreciative if you can supply a lot of things that they might be looking for. Um, and quite often, you might have the most incredible coffee with the most amazing branding and all that kind of jazz. Awesome. But they still might need to find a separate supplier for all the other things. If you can supply you know, incredible, amazing coffee and then also incredible, amazing chai and chocolate and teas and all that kind of thing, it improves your offer to them um, it means that they can with one phone call get you know five different products as opposed to calling five different people for one product um, and that's a really good thing and so it's all the other sort of products that we offer currently present a very small amount of our revenue but it's a very uh, the part you can't measure are the people who might be using you because of those other things as well mm-hmm. um, or they might uh, say, try your chocolate and be using someone else's coffee and they really like your chocolate and then that's an in for you to bring in your coffee. Um, so, there are a lot of opportunities in there. Um, by the same token, uh, coffee is, depending on which month it is, it's either the most loved or most hated sort of thing. It's either the one with all the health benefits or none of them. <laughs> not the one that gives you cancer. <laughs> yeah. And so, Crazy. at the end of the day, you know, if you're in coffee and people are loving coffee at this point, great. And if people are not loving coffee so much... Why don't you provide something else that they're going to enjoy, whether it be chocolate or teas or matcha or something else along those lines. So, they are all opportunities. But the thing is, you can never really base an opportunity or judge an opportunity just based on what it's doing now. Um, You've got to give it a fair crack and then see what happens. And sometimes you'll lose. Sometimes you'll lose money or lose time. Um, But it's irrelevant. At the end of the day, it's... It's about the journey. That's such a cliche, but it is. It's about it's about the game, um, yeah. and it is. It's a game. It's a it's a very real game because you're playing with uh, money and time and people. But at the end of the day, like I'm not, I'm not in this to be the most successful person or to have the largest coffee company or anything else like that. I'm in it because I really enjoy doing what I do, and. What that means is whether I succeed or fail, I'm still winning, which is awesome. So, what that also means is that there's no risk of failure. So, I can try all these things and some of them will win, some of them won't, but regardless, I'll enjoy the process and regardless, I'll learn something for the next time. So, it's all winning. All winning. Well, we are definitely winning here today. (laughs) We've just hit an hour and six minutes. (laughs) So, we are definitely winning. Um, Massive thank you for, for joining us on the show today. Thank you. Uh, it's been a pleasure and learn a heap and I'm no doubt going to ask you a bunch more questions once we finish. Cool. <laughs> but uh, thanks so much for being on the show. You're welcome. Thank you. There you go. My brain hurt a little bit just uh, listening back to all that. A lot of information to take in there. So thanks so much for joining us today. Um, I hope you've had uh, learned some really great things about, uh, about your space that you could apply. So um, if you've got any questions for us, feel free to drop us an email. Uh, check us out on socials on Instagram and Facebook as well at uh, Bricks and Mortar Coffee Co. Um, other than that, uh, have a great week. Uh, stay caffeinated and stay classy.